When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to The Great Pop Culture Debate, back in Bigger Than Ever for Season 9. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. Happy New Year, everyone. You just heard the iconic theme to Golden Girls. I had a different intro song set for this week, but based on the sad news of Betty White's passing, I figured I'd switch it over to this. And it's kind of interesting because as you know, or maybe as you don't know, but I am visiting my brother for the holidays. I'm here until January 3rd. And for Christmas, one of the gifts that I brought for the family, kind of like as a little joke or something for us to do, was a Golden Girls clue game. And I have to tell you, it was so fun. It was one of the highlights of just hanging out here at home with everybody. It was the cutest thing ever. It was, you know, instead of the typical clue game, you know, who did it in what room with what weapon, it was who ate the last piece of cheesecake in what room and what did they have with them? So it was like a bathrobe or a fuzzy slipper or Sophia's handbag. It was cute. And then the rooms are like the lanai, the kitchen, Rose's room, etc. And I had posted it on my stories days before Betty White's passing. And I I got in a lot of responses to that of, of how many people actually loved Golden Girls. It's actually on Hulu. And I watch it to this day, you know, at night, if I'm just looking for something light to go to sleep. And it's funny because as an adult watching it, it's much different because you kind of get the other jokes that you wouldn't get as a child. So I love that it's on Hulu. And uh, it was very sad to hear of Betty White's passing, but she did live a very long and wonderful life to the age of 99. She was just shy of her 100th birthday in January. You know, and when we were playing this clue game, we kind of had a bunch of questions about the Golden Girls. We were like, what age were they were their characters supposed to be playing? Because, you know, looking at it, you think, you know, they're definitely supposed to be elderly women. But most of them, aside from Sophia's character, they were supposed to be in their 50s. And I'm like, 50 looks a lot different now (laughs) than it did or how it was portrayed on that show. What was also interesting is Estelle Getty, who played Sophia, she was the youngest in real life. She started that show when she was 62, but her character was 79. So I thought, you know, those little tidbits were, were interesting. And another thing I found out was that Rose and Blanche they were actually meant to play the other's role. So, you know, Rose was supposed to be played by Rue McClanahan and Blanche was supposed to be played by Betty White. And then during the audition process, the casting directors just said, hey, why don't you switch parts? Let's see how this goes. And everyone was was much happier with the roles switched. And, you know, Betty White was an amazing animal rights activist as well. She did so much work with saving endangered species and improving conditions at the L.A. Zoo. You know, I personally don't love zoos, but she had a different look on it. And she, you know, she thought that if she didn't like the conditions, rather than just complaining, she wanted to work from the inside. So she I think she worked with them for a number of decades trying to improve the the conditions there. She supported local shelters and she just protected animal interests in the entertainment business. So thank you for being a friend to the animals, Betty White. And uh, you will be missed. I feel like everyone kind of looks at her like their grandmother. So she definitely will be missed. Speaking of the animals, it is Veganuary. So 
Happy New Year, but also Happy Veganuary. If you don't know what that is, that's for the month of January. We encourage people who aren't vegans to go vegan for the month and just try it out and see how you feel and see how you do. So if anyone is embarking on that, I want to wish you a ton of luck, a ton of help. If you have any questions, if you need any recommendations, please reach out. I'm here for you. And let me know if you're doing it. I would I would love to follow along in your journey doing that. And I wish you all of the success in doing that. So my next guest, I had mentioned that I had a different intro song planned. I was going to play Nellie's It's Hot in Here. <laughs> uh, and throughout the interview, you'll see that it, it is mentioned. And that's what I've kind of been doing. I've just been kind of looking to the episodes for inspiration for these intro songs because I am without an intro song. And I don't know, do we like this? Do we like it to be changed every week or do I need to kind of settle on one? Let me know your thoughts on that because I'm on the fence. I don't know. I kind of like being able to choose a new one. But I also know there's something to like comfortable about turning on a podcast and knowing, you know, what intro song you're going to be hearing. So I would love to know your thoughts. Please reach out about that. And then as far as podcast news, I am so happy and so shocked <laughs> to uh, announce that I have been picked up by a podcast network. And I won't get too much into it now because I don't know how much I can reveal. Paperwork has been signed. And it's a done deal. But I just wanted to let you all know that when I was having my meetings prior to signing, I had said, you know, I only have three episodes out. How did you hear of me? And how did you find me? And, and why do you want this podcast to be part of your network? And the response that I got was, first, he said, you know, it's his job to know who's making the charts and, and stuff like that. But in addition to that, he said it was obvious that I put an emphasis and my priority was on the community. And I said, I, I really appreciated that he recognized that because that's the case. You know, like I had mentioned before, the reason I even started this podcast was for my Instagram group that we had been talking since me leaving shenanigans and people just kind of reaching out and saying that they missed my voice and certain things resonated with them. And I just said, okay, I'll start this as a, a little hobby for these, you know, 30 people. <laughs> and that that was my intention, you know, and it was something that I wanted everyone to be involved with anyone that enjoyed anything we were discussing or got anything from it. I just want this to be a community and I, I want this to be all of our things, you know, so thank you for helping me with this and congratulations to you as well because it's ours so I'm so excited to see what 2022 brings for this so we're in it for a year we signed a one-year contract so you know when I initially started I was like okay maybe I'll just do a few episodes and we'll see what happens but I'm now committed to at least one year so I'm excited I'm very excited for what's to come. So my guest coming up is Hannah Burner, and you may know her from Summer House on Bravo. She did three seasons there. She has been embarking on a stand-up comedy career, and uh, she also has two podcasts. So we kind of get into all of that, as well as her third and final season on Summer House kind of took a turn for her. She definitely received a lot of hate through social media. She also introduced her boyfriend, who was also a comedian, Des Bishop. He was introduced to the show as well. And to not so, you know, not much fanfare, I have to say. And they definitely received a lot of hate. So whether you love her or you hate her, the following interview just kind of sheds light onto what the whole experience was like for her. It did kind of lead her to a bit of a dark place. And she lets us know how she got out of that. And uh, I think it's a really, really good interview. So I hope you enjoy it as well. During the interview, we discuss a speech that was given by Steve Jobs in 2005 at the Stanford commencement. And it's an amazing speech. It has something like 39 million views on YouTube. I'm sure many of you have already heard it before, but it's something that I try to listen to at least once a year. It's very, very inspirational. And it does come up in the interview. So I put in a little snippet of the speech that we were actually referring to. But just to let you know, I put the entire speech at the end of this episode. And I would encourage you guys to hang in there and listen to it. I just think it's an amazing way to start 2022. So with that, let's start the interview with Hannah Burner. 
Welcome to episode four of Jamie All Over. I am so excited for my next guest. She is a friend of mine. I'm just outside of New York. She's in New York. Welcome, Hannah Burner. Thank you so much for having me, especially in the top five. I'm honored. This is a privilege. And I always loved and we I feel like we always had great chemistry talking shit on pods. So we might as well continue. Let's keep it going. I do wish I was seeing you in person. It's just a scary world out there right now. <laughs> but what's it like in New York City? Because I haven't even set foot in New York City. I saw the skyline yesterday. That was as close as I got. I feel like New York City was vibing at some point. Like we, during the summer, it was like a block party on every block because it was all outdoor dining and people loved it. Like That's fun. You could see the energy outside. You'd have to like go inside. So it was a party everywhere. And then, you know, it gets cold and everyone's inside. And I just think overall, we've had to just find new ways to do the things that bring us joy because you can't just like give up. <laughs> and give podcasting up. <laughs> has been, and it's it sucks that we're not in person, but like over Zoom, especially when I know the person, it feels like we're just having a fun FaceTime where it is harder with someone interviewing someone you don't know because you feel like it's like an awkward corporate meeting where you're oh like, my God, do they yes. hate me or do they like me? I can't tell. And you know, sometimes it's delayed. So I'm like, oh, I just bombed. Like I'm bombing on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> the whole thing is awkward if you don't know the person. That's why I'm so glad I'm doing my first Zoom with a friend, someone that I know. So we've podcasted, I think, maybe two or three times before already. Yeah, we go so, way back. We do. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had one of those awkward corporate meetings yesterday for Sugar Taco, and mm -hmm. we are partnering with Gold Belly, I believe. Yeah, it's called Gold Belly. So what they mm -hmm. do is they ship your products nationwide. So we're hopefully going to be able to ship all of our products, like our vegan cheeses and our vegan donuts and everything nationwide with their help. And they do a lot of the back end work. So it's like super helpful. But in this meeting, I was wearing the Snuggie that I warned you I might be wearing today, <laughs> which I'm not. <laughs> and I just decided, you know what? It was a Zoom, but I'm just, I didn't have the video on. I was the only person in the meeting that didn't have video on. <laughs> it was and that is socially acceptable. <laughs> I know I would like get out of the shower and forget I had a Zoom and just like bust on. But it's like, you multitask now. You yeah. know, that's this life. But also, I love your entrepreneurial spirit. Um, I don't want to sound cheesy, but I, no pun intended, because I love tacos and cheese. But I do think that what you're doing is very cool, how you have a lot of different sources of your income and trying to find different ways to, like, express yourself, whether it's through food or through talking or through business. And I vibe with that. I like it a lot. Thank you. I mean, it definitely took a long time to get here. I spent... And I said this, I, I think I went into this a bit on episode two. Mm -hmm. It was my first solo episode. Um, mm -hmm. And someone had asked, you know, how did I get my start in business? And honestly, it took over 10 years to get to where I am now, where I'm actually doing the things that I want to be doing, where my hard work, like we were talking earlier before we started recording, like where my hard work is finally going to be benefiting me directly, as opposed to me supporting other businesses, you know, other things going on, which obviously like you need to do that. I think mm -hmm. I just kind of, especially when I was doing my real estate, I think I stayed in that space a little too long. And I would just encourage anyone if they feel like their hard work isn't benefiting them. And it may not even need to be financially. If you're getting experience from something, that's just as good. When you get to the point where it's just like, why am I getting out of bed to go help this jerk become wealthy, mm -hmm. <laughs> which was me for a while. Mm -hmm. Actually, have you ever seen Steve Jobs speech that he gave at Stanford? Yes. Yep. Iconic. Yes. It's iconic. And it changed everything for me. He said something like, if you don't get up every day and you're excited to go do what you're about to do, you need to change directions. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, someday you'll most certainly be right. <laughs> it made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. 
Yeah. And it's not you being selfish. It's like whispers of the universe telling you like this isn't meant for you anymore. And I mean, for me, I had jobs where I was like, I'm going to do this for the rest of my life. This is my dream job. And then fast forward a year and you outgrow it or you hit a glass ceiling. But I do think it's so important. You don't just get the confidence to go on your own. You don't just get out of college and that's what you do. You have to do those jobs that either trick you and tell you like this is what you're meant to do or what you're not meant to do. And you have to go through those humbling experiences. Like I worked for barely any money making like memes and tweets for a couple of years before I realized like, ooh, I have my own voice. And right. but I needed that boot camp to right. teach me those basic skills. And for you to go out on your own podcast, you had to kind of learn the industry and be a sponge before, before you were like, I can tackle this. Definitely. Speaking of podcasts, you are a podcast queen. You have two. (laughs) I don't know how you can handle this. Oh my God. I'm crazy. I need to know everything. So what did you start first? I believe it was burning in hell. Burning in hell. Yeah. So burning in hell was when I was, I was working for this media company and that's when I was approached to do reality TV. I was talking to actually Teresa Judice's lawyer. Okay. <laughs> Who like ran someone connected me with him. They're like, oh, you're gonna get involved in reality TV. This guy knows the game. And I remember him being like, look, people are gonna love you, people are gonna hate you, but the people who love you are gonna want more of you, and you're gonna want an outlet where you can show them your depth and who you really are besides just like a 45 minute episode. And he was like, I recommend you start a podcast to show kind of what you really want to express. And at the time I was really into mental health and showing that like everyone has demons. And I was meeting all these kind of celebrities, like singers, artists, reality TV people, and realizing like, oh, they all have their own struggles that you don't see. And you could just be like, I wish I had their life when it's much more complicated than that. So I started burning in hell before my reality show started. So once it started, people had an outlet to be like, oh, I want more Hannah Burner. I'm going to go here. Fast forward, Giggly Squad started during the pandemic because we all were miserable that first April, June, July, that every night at 10 p.m. for three months, every single night, maybe one or two we missed because Paige was hungover. Um, <laughs> we would go on Instagram Live and just talk I would shit watch. for an hour. I love Oh, those. my God. You're an OG. <laughs> I am. But it was like everyone at 10 p.m., no one was out. No one was having fun. We all were on our phones lying in bed. So we figured and p- people were worried. They were like, what are you guys going to talk about every night? You don't do anything. And we're like, we will figure it out. And then we had to stop recording because we had to go film summer house and when we got back the world was a little different and we were like let's turn this into a podcast but burning in hell and giggly squad both are very different to me like giggly squad is just the pure chemistry of me and Paige. we just go on and we go off we're burning in hell i have to get guests and kind of break them down and understand their dark stuff while also finding a sense of humor so burning in hell is like it's still comedy but a different energy than giggly squad so for Giggly Squad, would you say it's kind of more off the cuff? Like, do you have to spend any prep on that? Or is that more just two friends talking and whatever comes up, comes up? So our prep is we have a mutual note on our phones where throughout the week we will write notes down of topics we want to talk oh, about. Oh, perfect. Sometimes on Instagram we'll do like a advice thing where people ask certain questions, but we'll just get on the notepad and I'll be like, Okay, you wrote down Chanel. What's going on with Chanel? And she'd be like, oh, I saw this thing. So it's really a natural flow. And it's just so important to have good chemistry. But it, it also has been really beneficial for our friendship because we, especially during quarantine, have not always been able to physically be together. And we text all the time, but it's a weekly FaceTime basically that everyone experiences with us. Yeah. I love (laughs) that. And the gigglers, a lot of them originated from a really dark time when they were writing on the lives to us. So we really feel like we all got through a dark time together, which has trauma bonded us all. Amazing. (laughs) That's probably a word that you learned during burning in hell. Your mental health podcast. I'm learning about these, all these things too. So let's talk about burning in hell a little bit, because I think it's really interesting that you chose to do a mental health podcast, but you're doing it in a way that is 
palatable, I suppose, where it's it's not always so dark, it's not always so deep, but you do tackle issues, but then you can bring in those lighter moments as well. So I definitely love, I love the that balance. word palatable. I feel like <laughs> me and you are kind of similar where I'm the person at the party where I kind of am awkward with small talk, but if I find someone who immediately wants to open up and be vulnerable or just no bullshit and the next thing you know like we're talking about breakups and dating narcissists and like past live regret that's the shit I yes, want to talk about me too. so I feel like burning in hell is for those people who are not scared of the dark humor or not scared of talking about weird shit and just understanding how all of our minds are really similar we're all battling very similar demons and even arguably some of the people who are really successful or have a lot of social clout are some of the people who struggle the most with certain issues of wanting to feel accepted and wanting to feel loved and feeling empty and needing attention. <laughs> so yeah. you kind of realize like, oh, some of the people I looked up to actually are like really fucked up and not dealing with their demons. Everyone deals with their demons differently, whether it's comedian, reality TV people. Are um, you learning artists. through your guests on that show? And, and if so... Can you maybe share some things that you have learned in doing this now for so long? One thing I learned is that even though I feel like sometimes my mind is like broken at times and I have repetitive anxiety thoughts or I deal with bad depression, I've realized that especially in the creative community, I'm so not alone with that. Right. And that I'm just I'm not a freak. Mm -hmm. And. I've also been able to speak to a lot of people who you see just cool things happen in their lives when they just kind of like keep going through hell. Like if they just had kind of let the hell win. Someone said a joke like, if you're in hell, why would you stop there? And also with Burning in Hell, people aren't interviewing me, but I think you see me going through different things where I'm definitely asking guests certain questions based on what I'm going through. There have been times in Burning in Hell that I've been really fucking depressed. And then there's times where I'm like, why do I even have a mental health podcast? I'm so fucking happy. Like, I get it. And then next thing you know, like the universe hits me again and I'm like, why are we on this planet? Mm -hmm. So I think you could definitely see my moods are different during certain interviews. <laughs> right, right. So how do you handle handle, you know, you, you had mentioned you do at times go through depression. Is that more exacerbated through seeing some of this hate that you and most reality show people get? And I think this is why select people are chosen as reality show personalities is because mm -hmm. they're polarizing. You love them or you hate them or you love to hate them. Mm -hmm. And I personally don't know that I could mentally handle that. How do you handle the hate that you do get? It was interesting because I never envisioned myself being on reality TV. I was always a fan mm -hmm. and I was kind of honored that the network thought that I could be a character on reality TV. And then when I started, like people really liked me. And for me, that was a little weird because I've always been kind of like in school, the funny girl who like played sports and was friends with everyone, but I never was considered one of the like really, really popular girls. I would just kind of I wasn't like cool, cool. I was just kind of the silly, funny friend who didn't actually like party a lot and no one really knew that much about, but like I was friends with everyone. So basically I wasn't expecting to go on national TV and everyone to be like, this girl's awesome. But like my first two seasons, people like loved me and it was so weird. And obviously people are seeing the light that they want you to see. And like, there's a clear kind of narrative that they'll push on you. And I was like funny and relatable. And then my last season, we were all stuck in a house and I got stuck in a narrative that was more like Hannah's more polarizing. And I wasn't getting along with the people as well as I was in previous seasons, which is hard because that's also like what the show wants <laughs> is right. for you to like not get along all the time. And I started to deal with hate for the first time. And the hardest part about it, Jamie, is like when people say to me, like, oh, Hannah, you talk too much. You're like, Hannah, you're annoying or Hannah, you're ugly or Hannah, you look like you never brush your hair. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> but when people judge whether you're a good or bad person based on something that's manipulated for a story, it was really hard for me to like sleep at night. I like it was hard that. for me to be yes. judged based on something that wasn't accurate because that's the worst thing someone can do is attack your character. You know, I don't care. Yeah. I don't care if someone thinks I'm ugly or pretty, like beauty is in the eye of the beholder who cares, yeah. but your character is most important. I had sleepless nights based on like people hating me over something the back of my head said or something that like 
a fight that you only saw two minutes of when it was 45 minutes and knowing that everyone would have a different opinion if they actually saw the full fight. Right. And then also being like, what could I have done differently? And just people judging you based on something that is cut up. Yeah. And just not being in control. But also like that's my biggest fear is to not be in control and for people to see me in a bad light. And I think the universe was like, you're strong enough for this. And I was like, fuck you, universe. (laughs) This last year was fucking crazy. You know, TikTok, people are posting like, oh, 2021. And you see like how great their year was. And I'm like, my year kind of was the worst year, but I had some also amazing things happen. Yeah. But Hannah, what you said just now, I'm sorry to cut you off, but I want you to realize how important what you just said is because you were faced with your biggest fear and now it's over. So what does that mean for you? That means that you can be unstoppable. You now probably have this gained confidence that you wouldn't have had, had you not hit that place and been like, Hey, guess what? I'm still here. I'm fine. I do think I got that maturity and I joke sometimes I'm like, do people just get mature? Do they just get tired? But like (laughs) that maturity of like, I kind of know the ugliness of things and I'm less scared of the unknown because I know it now. Right. And I did find a partner, a man that I'm with that I got engaged to. And it was, we went through like such a hard time together. Like basically just because you find someone you love doesn't change the ups and downs you're going to deal with in your own life. Like I was like, Oh, once I fall in love, everything's great. And it's like, you know, once they fall in love with you, they're still going to have to deal with your life's ups and downs. So like I had someone with me for all of that, but it was definitely sometimes I was like, I wish I wasn't upset right now. And I wish I could be like perfect and happy and silly all the time. Well, what was that process like bringing him into this world? It must've just been so stressful that, cause that was kind of the beginning of your relationship to, have it all on screen and how did he help you handle that I just I'm so curious like his take on all of this it's funny because he's a comedian and he's been his career has been based in Ireland for most of his life and he's knows so much about the industry and he's been able to give me like a really good bigger view of everything just kind of like yeah this is a small part of your entertainment career yeah these are the ups and downs that you're going to be dealing with he was a big proponent of not being in the comments because my thing was like okay if the house is burning down I want to know what's burning down and if I could you know what I could possibly and try to fight it and I did I'm a fighter and I try to fight for people you know that kind of thing but then like I kind of realized you don't have to read comments and you can just live your reality instead of trying to change whatever reality is happening virtually online And those are really two separate things. So is that where you're at now? Do you not read any comments? Well, it's so funny because the internet, (laughs) the internet has like phases where like when a certain reality show is airing, everyone cares about something and then it's done. And then like no one cares about that. So like I kind of just was a punching bag for a bit. And then the people who not, I hate to use the word love you because they don't know you, but the people who like are invested and like love your content, they're fucking there. And they're right. always there. Yeah. And I think the people who wanted to hate had a source now to use it. Okay. And then they're not like hating is fun. People love to bond over who they're hating this moment. It's like a group unifier. Let's all get together and hate. And I just found, I felt almost like that little girl in middle school getting bullied again, but you put yourself out there and people can do that. Yeah. But the point is, is that sometimes you don't have to read it because you could ruin your whole day just like seeing the wrong comment. My comedy friends were so funny because when my season was airing and I was in like a lot of drama, they would message me. They're like, did you murder someone? Right. <laughs> like, what's going on? Like, what did you do on this show? Did you did you like kidnap someone's child? And we would just it was nice to talk to people who were outside the industry because we would just laugh so hard because when you take a step out of it. It really is just like, you're just entertainers, you know? I don't even know what you did. Like, what did, what, you had sex and Kyle in Amanda's bathroom and everybody hates you now? Is that, what is the well, problem? Jamie, the funniest <laughs> thing is we never had sex in the bathroom. They you just put, didn't? No, they just put sounds over it. Like, it was a full <laughs> character assassination. And also, like, you guys have sex in summer houses, in every bathroom. You should. And and joke about it like have laugh about it live life have orgasms but I also got to a point 
where I've learned you want to hang out with people who like you. And yeah, there's like money involved and there's that kind of stuff. But when you surround yourself with people who like you and who like tell you to your face because they like you, like when you've done something wrong or when you can improve on something or if you made a mistake, that's great, too. But like people who believe you and and you and they're rooting for you and they're not trying to fuck you. Yeah. is actually a, a better way to live life than, and even like for people with friend groups like you know those friend groups that like you want to like you and they just it doesn't really vibe don't try to fucking hang out with them I and agree. I dealt with that at like a bigger scale but I do think a lot of people reached out being like I've dealt with similar situations where like friend groups turned on me or like I did something good and then everyone started to like try to tear it apart and I guess I just dealt with a lot of human shit it was just too much at one time though for like someone to handle and I was pretty depressed when you every day wake up and something new is attacking you and then anything you say or do doesn't help you start to feel like why should I try to do anything right like why bother and next thing you know you're not doing anything Mm -hmm. so how did you get through that honestly stand up saved my life I forced myself to go and do stand up at night where like no one really knew who I was and I was able to just kind of do what I actually enjoy, which is not fighting with people. It's actually trying to make people laugh and being silly. And when you're on stage, you have to be in the moment. You can't be thinking about the past. You can't be thinking about the future. You have to be in the moment and present. And it was hard because I would have like, I was doing well and I was touring and I have people cheering for me, but deep down I'd be like, do they hate me? Mm-hmm. <laughs> or like, are they, are thinking, they only like, nice because just... they're in front of my face right now? Yes. You get paranoid and then people mm-hmm. will say like random things, but then it's funny how things are kind of just a fad sometimes. And I know that you're spiritual and the universe really like kicked me out of a situation. And now I'm in a place where I'm a lot more private about my life. And I hate to say this because I do think I was entertaining on reality TV, but I don't think to my core, I was a reality TV person. Okay. And some people were like, Hannah, that like, wasn't you last season when you'd get upset. And I'm like, no, that's a girl three years in being pushed to her limit and feeling like people are trying to villainize her Mm -hmm. and how she reacts. And it's Mm -hmm. called like being human. But reality TV was an amazing way to gain a platform. And it's funny how many people watched all my seasons and did kind of see me through all of it, through the ups Mm -hmm. and downs, like they really got it. And then there's the people who see what they want to see. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's what's baffling to me because and I don't know if it's just because I know you personally, but anytime I hear someone dislike you I personally don't get it I like I don't even know what it's about because I think you're an amazing person and I don't see that (laughs) but I guess maybe through people watching they watch it through a different lens I'm not really sure what happens I've had people apologize in the last couple months of after watching it being like I saw myself in you and I didn't like that or like I've never been verbally abused by a man so I didn't understand why you were so upset by it. <laughs> or like I was afraid to leave my abusive relationship. So you calling it out, I felt attacked by like there were so many different reasons. And then That's there's really just interesting. like there's also just like society loves to tear women apart. <laughs> yeah. And I, and I honestly think it's because you're in a quote unquote man's field right now doing comedy. I'm not hating on men, but I do think it's when women try to like step out and do an occupation that is dominated by men, it's going to be a lot harder. Do you think that has something to do with it as well? Well, I do think that I was not playing into the like misogynistic culture of a lot of traditional reality TV where like I was kind of standing up to certain men and not doing it in the most dainty way. (laughs) And I mean, being messy, being angry, crying, emotional, all these things are like very triggering for women to be in the media where men could be like so angry. Like men could like punch a wall and people are like, yep, he needed it. Where like if a, a woman starts crying and like says something that doesn't make complete sense, people are like, she's a psychotic cunt. Yeah. So (laughs) I feel like it was almost empowering to be like, oh, I see the misogyny in the media and I see how standing up to a man was looked down upon. 
Yeah. Anyone listening, I just want to encourage them to (laughs) fucking stand up against those men and the misogyny. I was actually just having a conversation about this today. I was in a position, a work position with a man who I was opinionated. So I was automatically a bitch and Mm -hmm. newsflash just because women have opinions doesn't make them a bitch. And to me, that's verbal abuse. If you're, if they're in a professional environment and they're calling me a bitch, just because I'm opinionated and I have high standards, that's verbal abuse. And women will just take that. A lot of women think that, okay, this is just something I need to put up with to be Mm -hmm. here. But no, we don't. We don't need to put up with it. Yeah. And I was in a situation where there was a hierarchy and like I was feeling like it was it was just so misogynistic and I didn't want to be a part of that system. And the fact that I was kind of fighting it and doing my own thing didn't make people happy. And it's kind of like with you, like you, you do outgrow some situations and growth is uncomfortable. And Mm -hmm. I do have to say if my last season wasn't as volatile as it was, I probably would still be there. And I don't think that would have been the right path for me. The universe needed to whoop my ass to get out. And like, it's funny because I thought about last Christmas because last Christmas was before my final season aired and like where I was happiness level. And then after all this shit went down this Christmas and like, I feel way more myself this Christmas, even though I went through a lot of trauma, I at least feel like I'm authentic and not just trying to play a role and making decisions through fear. I know I'm speaking like in general terms, but no, but I mean, you said, you know, growth is uncomfortable, but Mm -hmm. in order to grow, we have to be uncomfortable. Yeah. Like sometimes you have to hit rock bottom to make a decision like a career change or get a breakup. Like sometimes it has to be so bad that you can't do anything but change. Mm -hmm. And it's been hard because like I've dealt with a lot of like public drama and stuff but it's true it's like I could take on anything like the worst stuff has happened (laughs) to me and I'm good I'm Gucci I'm you're still here I'm okay I'm still here okay Yeah. Yeah. yeah so speaking of being uncomfortable I would think one of the hardest things that everybody says one of the hardest things to do is to step on stage and do stand up <laughs> how, how did you even have the courage to do that for the first time is this something you've always wanted to do from a child oh my god I'm such a weirdo because I feel like things that I'm scared of other people aren't and then things that I'm not scared of other people are and I think stand up it just it's in you like when I, I was that like annoying little kid in class who like loved raising her hand like I wouldn't even know what I was about to say I was just like I want to be heard I always just want to be heard and I do think you're right stand up is a very male dominated field but growing up I was a tennis player and I always trained with men I competed against men and I always felt like I was put on this planet for whatever reason, I had a chip on my shoulder to like fight for women, be that voice that for whatever reason, some women were pushed down that they couldn't do it. I want to be that scapegoat. Like I want to be the one. So doing stand up in a male dominated field, I almost feel comfortable with because I kind of grew up in that. And I have to give props to my dad, who was my coach, who just like, always believed in me like any situation boys girls he was like I believe in you you could do this I was never treated like a girl or a boy I was just his he just believed in me it didn't matter that I was a girl and I competed on boys teams so doing stand-up I'm like I love showing that women are hysterical and complex and they could be angry they could be happy they could be sad and we're just so much more complicated than just being like hot or funny Mm-hmm. And just like living in a man's world. And I do think the internet and memes have really helped with women's voices being heard because you don't know who wrote the meme. Right. Sometimes. Right. right. And you see like female humor has just been like conquering the internet. And I just feel really myself on stage. Like sometimes I feel more myself on stage than when I'm like in the green room talking with someone. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this conversation to be over and I can just like be on stage. Wow where some people love sitting down and, you know, in a group setting, talking to people where like, sometimes I get social anxiety about that, but I don't really get anxiety in front of a crowd. I feel very alive. (laughs) 
Well, you, you know, you said, you know, it's, you have to be in the present moment on stage. You can't think of the past. You can't think of the future. And I actually just had a psychiatrist on last episode we were discussing anxiety and he said the best thing to help with anxiety is to be in the present so that you're not experiencing either that anxiety from the past or the future. And one of the ways to be in the present would be through, you know, meditation or focusing on breathing or being on stage doing stand up. It makes sense. I recently went skiing for the first time and I was like, I'm loving this. And I realized why I loved it. And then I realized you have to be in the present or you're yeah. going to bust your ass. Yeah. So I like spent the whole day skiing and I was like, oh, my God why am I so happy? And it's because you just were existing like when you were a little kid. And I always try to find my inner child. And my inner child was like, when my dad would take the video camera, it would get to me and I'd be making like the silliest, stupidest face. And I like loved the attention. And it's okay for girls to love attention. It's okay for girls to be silly. And I'm kind of just embracing that inner child right now. And I'm fortunate that I'm able to do something creative and make money from it. But yeah, I've definitely put in my time <laughs> to get here. And I commend you for, for being honest because who doesn't want some form of attention, you know? And oh, for yeah. you to, for you to just admit like, yeah, I, as a child, I wanted to raise my hand. I wanted the teacher's attention. Some people might look at that and be like, that's why I don't like Hannah because she wants mm-hmm. attention. But it's like, as humans, we need it to survive. I also, I love being heard. Mm-hmm. That's like a thing with me like I love being heard maybe that's why I have two podcasts (laughs) and that's how I express myself and I also feel like I like to kind of be a female locker room where where I'm for whatever reason less afraid to say vulnerable things and I just hope to make someone feel less alone so in my like attention seeking I'm also just trying to feel less alone and have other people feel less alone and I also would argue reality tv is so funny because yeah I've had people on reality tv be like Oh, you just, you know, want attention, whatever. It's like, we all do. We're on reality TV. Right. What, you you don't want attention? You're on a TV show. We're all attention whores. That's how we got here. Yeah. They don't put people who are wallflowers on reality TV. So let's just all embrace that that's the kind of people we are. And also when men want attention, they treat it very differently. Exactly. And it's interesting to go back to sports. I never kind of put the two together until you just said that, but when I played baseball for little league, I was the only girl Mm -hmm. on my team. And that's awesome. The way that I got in is because my dad signed me up and I have a gender neutral name, Jamie. And they (gasps) thought I was a boy when he, he went and he registered me. So opening day, like they call and they're like, okay, you can bring your son, Jamie to this field at, at this time. And instead of my dad correcting them, he was just like, okay, we'll be there. And I show up and I'm the first girl in my town to play little league And they didn't really know what to do with me, but at that point they couldn't get rid of me. So Mm -hmm. I played and that season, my team came in first place. That's amazing. It was so cute. We had like a bunch of like senior citizens that would come and just for, you know, for fun, come and watch our games just for us to get out of the house. And all these older men, they would be like, yeah, there's a girl playing baseball. We love it. It was just so (laughs) sweet. But now I'm putting it together because that was the start of me learning that maybe if I didn't have that experience it maybe could have been ingrained in me it's like yeah girls can't do everything boys can do yeah and I I had a similar experience where I played on the boys tennis team and there was like a lot of drama because we were winning and it got like a bunch of press and I remember getting interviewed at the time and I was like I want to play like a boy I was like 17 and all these like feminist blogs got like mad Mm. and I was reading it and I like learned from it where there I realized like no I don't want to play like a boy I wanted the respect of a boy but I realized like we want to play like girls and just change the narrative of how girls are being perceived and that's like comedy where there is an old school kind of like white male comic who goes on stage and talks from the male lens which is hysterical at times And I want to show, I don't want to be like a male comedian. I want to show how the female brain is also equally as funny. And it's crazy how many men and boyfriends and husbands and single guys that come to my shows love it because they're like, get a idea of what a female locker room is kind of like, and they love it too. And it's a lot of it is just societal norms that are put on us of what should be where. And I, I really like to challenge that. 
And going to the beginning of your podcast, that's why sometimes I think I can be controversial at times, not even controversial, but (laughs) you could love or hate it. But it's like, I don't, I like to challenge things and I like to make people question stuff. And I think that's what comedy is, is starting conversation and making people question why they think the way they do. Yeah, I love that. I'm I, I'm proud of you for doing that. Oh, and I'm proud you, to honey. be friends with someone who is doing that. I love it. <laughs> so speaking of friends, how is your bestie Paige doing? Have you seen her over the holidays? Paige is doing amazing. I think she's actually skiing in Aspen right now. She's in her new relationship. She's with right. Craig. And Do it's we funny. like him? Have you met him? So I've met Craig before, but I haven't seen them together because oh they've been like running around filming and stuff. And we're both kind of in different times in our life. We're like Des and I are staying away from publicity and she's like full on in that. So I've just been like trying to be very supportive and it's been easier for me because I'm not a part of it, if that makes sense. Like when I'm okay. in the drama, when you're outside of it, it's easier to like help or or say the right things because it's like we're not going to be like turned on each other I'm not worried about how I'm going to be perceived in in a drama that's public it's more like I can just be there for her as an authentic friend not right one of the characters yeah she seems very happy I hope she is I think that there's always like an anxiety when you're doing anything public Mm -hmm. right but that's kind of like I think because she's with someone who's used to being in the reality TV world that they can kind of be in it together. Cause sometimes it could be hard cause she's dated before where she's doing reality TV. The guy's not doing reality TV and that can be kind of a struggle sometimes cause they're not always supportive of that lifestyle, but she's with someone who's really supportive of the life she's living right now, which I think is a huge weight off her shoulders. Yeah. I imagine it's a, it's a good match. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So speaking of matches, you just (laughs) mentioned that you are in the middle of wedding planning. Yes. How is that going? We officially finished finding everyone's email, (laughs) which took us so long. (laughs) But at first we were like, we're going to do a small wedding, whatever. It is not going to be small anymore. It's going to be in May and it's going to be just kind of a celebration of connecting the two families and I thank goodness have a wedding planner that's super helpful my mom's helping too nice and it's just funny how before I was like I don't care about weddings and the second you start like learning about it you're like I want this I want that I want this I'm planning a bachelorette party in Miami I think and again, oh, I was wow. like, I'm watching a bachelorette party. I'm just going to do like a funny thing at a farm. And next thing you know, I'm like, we need CJs. We need like an Airbnb. We're going crazy in Miami. So it ends up being all out. I remember <laughs> you on shenanigans. I think you said, I just want to do a bachelorette party. I just want to like pet animals. And I'm like, yes. hold on. That First of all, I, I love animals more than most people. And I'm like, yes. that's, an, that's fun. But she's not going to end up doing that for a bachelorette To be honest. Party. I think I was going through like a dark time where, you know, like celebrating yourself doesn't sound fun and also like socializing doesn't sound fun. So I think I was in a time where I was like, I don't want to do any of that shit. And then as I've been feeling better and happier, I've been like, no, I deserve to celebrate myself and I deserve to have these moments for myself. And that also is just (laughs) recovering from depression. Like when you're depressed, you don't know you're depressed. You're just like surviving the days. And then things start to feel lighter and you're like, Oh my God, I was depressed. (laughs) So I think I've just, it shows that I'm a little in a better place that I want to do nice things for myself. Cause when I'm depressed, I'm in a very like negative headspace that like, I don't deserve anything and I don't deserve happiness and I don't even, nothing makes me happy, but it's important to celebrate people around you that make you feel good about yourself and like authentically like everything that you are. I absolutely agree. So do you have plans for New Year's Eve with these friends or family or are you going to kind of be low key and stay in? It's funny because I was like super low key Halloween. I slept through. I had a pretty chill, like small Christmas, but I I'm doing stand-up on New Year's. So New Year's is kind of like a fun stand-up night in New York City. So I have like three shows and then my stand-up friends are doing a house party. So all of us will do shows and then we'll run to the house to watch the ball drop and stuff. Don't, we're not going near Times Square. Don't ever go near Times Square. We're downtown and it's, I have a very great community in New York City of, of comics and friends who we all have a similar lifestyle. So 
it's like we got really drunk one New Year's and just started doing stand up like an open mic in oh front of gosh. like 30 people. And everyone, it started as a joke and then it became like a full on comedy show. We all just like to make each other laugh. That's like a typical New York night, though. Like I because yeah. you know, I lived in the city for years and yes. w- you just never know where the night is going to you take know, you, you, you know? <laughs> and when you find the right vibe with the right amount of people, mm-hmm. you could be in a shoebox in the Lower East Side and have mm-hmm. a good time. Absolutely. So I'm looking forward to that because the the clubs, I, I'm like, I'm, I, I can't even, ha- I've recently, like, I'm not even drinking that much. I more Same. just want to be around good vibes than like 12, 15. I'll be like, okay, I'm going to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not drinking that much anymore. Can you believe it, Hannah? Every time like, we hang you? out, I feel like you've, you've seen drunk psychic Jamie. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she's my favorite Jamie. <laughs> I know you like her better than me. I know. I know. No. <laughs> well, no, you're, you, you have like very different sides to you that make me never bored of you. I'm like, who's it going to be? I was thinking back to the last time we hung out, which was at your oh, show so in Burbank. Funny. And it was coming back to me, like in like fading memories, like, what did I say to her? And I remembered this morning, something that I said to you and I'm like, to oh me? my God, to you. Yeah. I go, what did you say? I'm like, if I liked girls, you'd be my type. <laughs> I don't even remember, remember you remember saying that. that. I, did. I don't think you said that. Cause I would remember that. And I would have been, you. it would have made my night. I would have been like, mm, mm, oh my God, are we dating? I did. Oh, I don't know. <laughs> I'm obsessed with us. It's so funny because I thought you were about to tell me like a psychic thing you said. And you yeah. were like, no, I said I'd fuck you. And I was like, OK, <laughs> like I'm down. <laughs> no, all my psychic powers that night were going to MJ. <laughs> I know. I was actually like low key jealous because MJ was like, she didn't you were, really like, care. <laughs> she, I mean, she tells she didn't care, but she was like, oh, cool. And I was like, you were like, should I? And I'm like, yeah, direct it here. Direct right. the energy here. What's going on? <laughs> and Sheena and I were like so into it. Sheena and I were like, she has something to tell you. And MJ was, you know, but MJ also, we were all just like good vibes that night. We got drunk in a green room for three hours. We, we wrote on the walls. It was really fun. Yeah. It was so fun. I feel like at some point you need to come to Sheena's Palm Springs house because that, I don't know what it is with that location in the desert, but that's when yeah. the psychic powers are full force. I've predicted some crazy things at Sheena's house. I so we need to do it. I feel like you should read people on podcasts too sometimes if you're ever recording in palm springs that'd be wild oh yes but you know i have to be drunk to do it it's the yeah, only you have, time it works my sober why, predictions are i believe in you because you like <laughs> you have to have an you have to have like a certain you know witch's brew right <laughs> yeah like and a at a frog and you know some tulips and stir it up at and not only that degrees. certain music it has to be Either Britney oh. Spears, which oh. I'm not, I mean, I lo- everyone loves Britney, but like, I'm not a stan or it has to be like nineties hip hop, like Biggie. Oh my God. Nineties hip hop. I mean, I'm also two thousands hip hop, like Nelly and Akon, but yeah. also people have told me of course that I'm like intuitive and I, I have, I mean, I, I'm part Sicilian and I feel like Same. in Sicily there's, oh yeah, there's a lot of, I, yeah. I believe in there's in all of history, there's always been stories about like the wise Nona or the the person who's just really intuitive. But I think that I don't meditate and, and I haven't been able to like quiet my own voices to be able to like, like I don't feel my feelings. I'm very blocked. So maybe 2022, I'll try to be a little more vulnerable and, and listen yeah, to the maybe. world more. I, I think you should try it. I've actually had some success meditating and doing predictions. I predicted some good stuff when I was meditating and sober. Do you find that you predict certain type of things like relationship things or career things or is it really anything? Well, I never want to do it. So it's yeah. usually friends you fight like it. twisting my arm like, hey, can you answer a question about this or that? And so then yeah. I'll go meditate on their specific question and it will come That's what to I me. like about you. You're like the psychic with an attitude you're like i don't want want to (laughs) stop me forcing me to do this party trick so funny oh my god but it's (laughs) i think it's awesome and very cool and i feel like we did get drunk on one of the podcasts and you were like telling me random stuff and i was like okay this is quality this is the kind of hang i want to be a part of right (laughs) but i would love to manifest like a project in la that i have to be there for a couple months i would love that i would love to have okay We'll, we'll have a little conversation. I'll get, I'll drink some, some wine tonight. We'll have a discussion yeah. about how we can get you You're out like, there. I'm not drinking. I'm predicting the future for yes. to help my friends. Yes. 
<laughs> I'm working on Hannah's move to LA. Leave me alone. <laughs> oh my God. I love that so much. Oh my God. So you have a stand up show tonight. Yes. Is that right? Yes. Well, I, yes. I, no one's hearing this today, so I can't really, it's yeah. not going to help no, you. No, it's but. fine. But in New York, I'm at the stand. I also have shows coming up in Boston. I'm in San Diego. Oh, when in, is that? In February, I believe. Okay. We'll come see you, you then. Come? Oh my Absolutely. God. Yeah. I forgot that you, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll hook that up. There's also Pittsburgh and Miami. So you go to hannahburner.com. There's a lot of Ohio, random places I'm going to be. Yeah, and follow me at Being Burns and listen to Giggly Squad and Burning in Hell. Well, thank you so much for doing this and taking time out to see me virtually. I, again, I do wish it was in person. And maybe I will brave the New York City COVID situation and come see you on New Year's Eve. I will still oh be God. here. You're maybe. 100% invited. It's going to be a lot of fun. And yeah, I always have so much fun talking to you, Jamie. You're the best. Thank you. You too. Thank you. I'm uh, honored to be with you today for your commencement from one of the finest universities in the world. Truth be told, uh, I never graduated from college. And uh, this is the closest I've ever gotten to a college graduation. <laughs> today, I want to tell you three stories from my life. That's it, no big deal, just three stories. The first story is about connecting the dots. I dropped out of Reed College after the first six months, but then stayed around as a drop-in for another 18 months or so before I really quit. So why'd I drop out? It started before I was born. My biological mother was a young, unwed graduate student and she decided to put me up for adoption. She felt very strongly that I should be adopted by college graduates, so everything was all set for me to be adopted at birth by a lawyer and his wife. Except that when I popped out, they decided at the last minute that they really wanted a girl. So my parents, who were on a waiting list, got a call in the middle of the night asking, we've got an unexpected baby boy. Do you want him? They said, of course. My biological mother found out later that my mother had never graduated from college and that my father had never graduated from high school. She refused to sign the final adoption papers. She only relented a few months later when my parents promised that I would go to college. This was the start in my life. And 17 years later, I did go to college but I naively chose a college that was almost as expensive as Stanford. And all of my working class parents' savings were being spent on my college tuition. After six months, I couldn't see the value in it. I had no idea what I wanted to do with my life and no idea how college was going to help me figure it out. And here I was spending all of the money my parents had saved their entire life. So I decided to drop out and trust that it would all work out okay. It was pretty scary at the time, but looking back, it was one of the best decisions I ever made. The minute I dropped out, I could stop taking the required classes that didn't interest me and begin dropping in on the ones that looked far more interesting. It wasn't all romantic. I didn't have a dorm room, so I slept on the floor in friends' rooms. I returned Coke bottles for the five-cent deposits to buy food with and I would walk the seven miles across town every Sunday night to get one good meal a week at the Hare Krishna temple. I loved it. And much of what I stumbled into by following my curiosity and intuition turned out to be priceless later on. Let me give you one example. Reed College at that time offered perhaps the best calligraphy instruction in the country. Throughout the campus, every poster, every label on every drawer was beautifully hand calligraphed. Because I had dropped out and didn't have to take the normal classes, I decided to take a calligraphy class to learn how to do this. I learned about serif and sans serif typefaces, about varying the amount of space between different letter combinations, about what makes great typography great. It was beautiful, historical, artistically subtle in a way that science can't capture, and I found it fascinating. None of this had even a hope of any practical application in my life. 
But 10 years later, when we were designing the first Macintosh computer, it all came back to me. And we designed it all into the Mac. It was the first computer with beautiful typography. If I had never dropped in on that single course in college, the Mac would have never had multiple typefaces or proportionally spaced fonts. And since Windows just copied the Mac, it's likely that no personal computer would have them. If I had never dropped out, I would have never dropped in on that calligraphy class, and personal computers might not have the wonderful typography that they do. Of course, it was impossible to connect the dots looking forward when I was in college, but it was very, very clear looking backwards 10 years later. Again, you can't connect the dots looking forward. You can only connect them looking backwards. So you have to trust that the dots will somehow connect in your future. You have to trust in something, your gut, destiny, life, karma, whatever, because believing that the dots will connect down the road will give you the confidence to follow your heart even when it leads you off the well-worn path, and that will make all the difference. My second story is about love and loss. I was lucky. I found what I loved to do early in life. Waz and I started Apple in my parents' garage when I was 20. We worked hard, and in 10 years, Apple had grown from just the two of us in a garage into a $2 billion company with over 4,000 employees. We just released our finest creation, the Macintosh, a year earlier, and I just turned 30. And then I got fired. How can you get fired from a company you started? Well, as Apple grew, we hired someone who I thought was very talented to run the company with me. And for the first year or so, things went well. But then our visions of the future began to diverge, and eventually we had a falling out. When we did, our board of directors sided with him. And so at 30, I was out, and very publicly out. What had been the focus of my entire adult life was gone, and it was devastating. I really didn't know what to do for a few months. I felt that I had let the previous generation of entrepreneurs down, that I had dropped the baton as it was being passed to me. I met with David Packard and Bob Noyce and tried to apologize for screwing up so badly. I was a very public failure and I even thought about running away from the valley. But something slowly began to dawn on me. I still loved what I did. The turn of events at Apple had not changed that one bit. I'd been rejected, but I was still in love. And so I decided to start over. I didn't see it then, but it turned out that getting fired from Apple was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. The heaviness of being successful was replaced by the lightness of being a beginner again, less sure about everything. It freed me to enter one of the most creative periods of my life. During the next five years, I started a company named Next, another company named Pixar, and fell in love with an amazing woman who would become my wife. Pixar went on to create the world's first computer animated feature film, Toy Story, and is now the most successful animation studio in the world. In a remarkable turn of events, Apple bought Next, and I returned to Apple, and the technology we developed at Next is at the heart of Apple's current renaissance. And Lorreen and I have a wonderful family together. I'm pretty sure none of this would have happened if I hadn't been fired from Apple. It was awful tasting medicine, but I guess the patient needed it. Sometime life, sometimes life's going to hit you in the head with a brick. Don't lose faith. I'm convinced that the only thing that kept me going was that I loved what I did. You've got to find what you love. And that is as true for work as it is for your lovers. Your work is going to fill a large part of your life. And the only way to be truly satisfied is to do what you believe is great work. And the only way to do great work is to love what you do. If you haven't found it yet, keep looking and don't settle. As with all matters of the heart, you'll know when you find it. And like any great relationship, it just gets better and better as the years roll on. So keep looking, don't settle. My third story is about death. When I was 17, I read a quote that went something like, if you live each day as if it was your last, 
someday you'll most certainly be right. <laughs> it made an impression on me. And since then, for the past 33 years, I've looked in the mirror every morning and asked myself, if today were the last day of my life, would I want to do what I am about to do today? And whenever the answer has been no for too many days in a row, I know I need to change something. Remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I've ever encountered to help me make the big choices in life. Because almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure, these things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. About a year ago, I was diagnosed with cancer. I had a scan at 7.30 in the morning, and it clearly showed a tumor on my pancreas. I didn't even know what a pancreas was. The doctors told me this was almost certainly a type of cancer that is incurable and that I should expect to live no longer than three to six months. My doctor advised me to go home and get my affairs in order, which is doctor's code for prepare to die. It means to try and tell your kids everything. You thought you'd have the next 10 years to tell them in just a few months. It means to make sure everything is buttoned up so that it will be as easy as possible for your family. It means to say your goodbyes. I live with that diagnosis all day. Later that evening, I had a biopsy where they stuck an endoscope down my throat, through my stomach and into my intestines, put a needle into my pancreas and got a few cells from the tumor. I was sedated, but my wife, who was there, told me that when they viewed the cells under a microscope, the doctor started crying because it turned out to be a very rare form of pancreatic cancer that is curable with surgery. I had the surgery and thankfully I'm fine now. <clears throat> this was the closest I've been to facing death and I hope it's the closest I get for a few more decades. Having lived through it, I can now say this to you with a bit more certainty than when death was a useful but purely intellectual concept. No one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet, <laughs> death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be, because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It's life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now, the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it's quite true. Your time is limited, so don't waste it living someone else's life. Don't be trapped by dogma, which is living with the results of other people's thinking. Don't let the noise of others' opinions drown out your own inner voice. And most important, have the courage to follow your heart and intuition. They somehow already know what you truly want to become. Everything else is secondary. When I was young, there was an amazing publication called the Whole Earth Catalog, which was one of the Bibles of my generation. It was created by a fellow named Stuart Brand, not far from here in Menlo Park, and he brought it to life with his poetic touch. This was in the late 60s, before personal computers and desktop publishing, so it was all made with typewriters, scissors, and Polaroid cameras. It was sort of like Google in paperback form 35 years before Google came along. It was idealistic, overflowing with neat tools, and great notions. Stuart and his team put out several issues of the Whole Earth Catalog, and then, when it had run its course, they put out a final issue. It was the mid-1970s, and I was your age. On the back cover of their final issue was a photograph of an early morning country road, the kind you might find yourself hitchhiking on if you were so adventurous. Beneath it were the words, stay hungry, stay foolish. 
It was their farewell message as they signed off. Stay hungry, stay foolish. And I have always wished that for myself. And now, as you graduate to begin anew, I wish that for you. Stay hungry, stay foolish. Thank you all very much.